0: You're listening to an On The Move Media Co. production. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie On The Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative... And showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. As you may know, I just got back from covering the US Olympic marathon trials. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to spend some time with Tracksmith in their athlete suite and learn all about their amateur support program. They had 75 athletes competing in the trials. We caught up about what's new in 2024, and it's their 10-year anniversary. While there, I interviewed founder and CEO, Matt Taylor, global community director and Olympic trials runner, Louis Serafini, and community manager and five-time Olympian, Nick Willis. They are all sub-15 conversations that I posted on our YouTube channel, Marnie on the Move podcast, in case you're into watching. But for my listeners, enjoy the mashup. This is a unique episode, a special episode, kicking things off with Matt Taylor, then Louis Serafini, and last up, Nick Willis. If you follow me on Instagram, if you know me, you know I'm a huge fan of Tracksmith, from the design and quality of the fabric to their overall team. All right, let's get into it. First up, Matt Taylor. Congrats, Matt. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's... it's, um sometimes it's exciting to sort of think about it and other times it's a little bit scary but yeah we're, yeah we're we're gonna take some internally we'll take some time this year to celebrate and acknowledge that 10 years is a pretty you know pretty remarkable journey
0: it is i mean it's a major benchmark yeah for a brand yeah. it's huge yeah yeah when you started did you think it would be like this Whew,
1: that's a that's a tough question L- lots of things yes and some things no um you know, some things take longer than right. you think, like I would have assumed we would have launched footwear earlier than we did, and um, but also, you know, having retail store presence in London, I wouldn't have thought would have been in those first 10 years. So right. some things, you know, go a little faster and some things take a little longer, but um, in terms of how the brand has been able to Sort of grow and stay true to the original ideas and values, and even some of the products that we launched with are still unchanged in the line. Ten days, ten mm-hmm. years later, is is um, you know it makes me proud, and it's a just a testament, I think, to the way our team thinks and builds.
0: What are some of those like values and ethos of the brand of yeah. Tracksmith?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, one of our primary driving forces internally is. Thinking about how we can support committed runners. I mean, that's what drives everything we do. Um, What's their lifestyle? What's the journey of training and racing? What are some of the products? What are the events? What are the services that they need? And that really is what drives our product creation. It's what drives our our events. It's what drives our community. Um, And so that's you know that still is is the driving force.
0: When you started, like, how many products did you have? Like, what, what we was had the, five. Okay, yeah, what we were they? Yeah, we launched
1: with five products. So when we launched, we just had, we launched with men's apparel. Women's came about 10 months later, and obviously then footwear much later. So when we launched, we had the Van Cortlandt singlet and shorts. That okay. was our race kit, literally, uncha- pretty much unchanged. We make these minor tweaks, but that is still in the line today, one of our best sellers. Um, We had our gray boy tee, which is sort of a team issued, you know, anyone that ran on a cross country or track team probably got something like that with your, you know, team mascot on it. Um, We had the Longfellow shorts, which also were still in the line. Um, Those were running shorts that didn't look like running shorts it was um, again when we launched we, we wanted to show kind of the breadth of where we thought the brand could go in the future and so it was very strategic what products we launched with and then we had a little spike bag and that spike bag was um, made out of shirting fabric from a factory about 30 miles from our our tiny office back then. And it yeah. was just recycled scraps um, from, their, from their floor. We called it the factory floor spike bag, so.
0: That's so cool, and so were you a runner? Like, what inspired you to yeah. build this incredible brand?
1: Yeah, I've, run, I've been a runner my entire life. I played a lot of other sports in high school, and um, but come college was focused purely on running, and so ran cross country and indoor and outdoor track, And was able to continue going a little bit after college, not at a, at a super high level by any stretch. Um, and you know, I'm 46 and still competing as a master now, so. Um. What, are
0: you, what are your um, races coming up that you're competing in?
1: Um, so I just ran a mile, uh, indoor uh, mile at BU, and I have another one on Sunday um, at the New Balance Grand Prix. Um, and then I'll shift from the mile. I'm running the Boston Marathon, so you I'm, are. I'm trying to do the two ends of the spectrum in a short period of time, and keeping my training varied and exciting, and you know, not get too bored with one specific thing.
0: And now so. you're from you're from Boston, yeah. and you live on the Cape. Now, I or, live you know? in Boston, yeah, but in Boston. My, yeah, yeah, okay. my
1: in-laws and and uh, family are are on the Cape, so. I feel
0: like when we met at the Boston Marathon last year, we ran together and we're talking about yes. Boston yes. and the Cape, yes. yes. So. Um, how many times have you done the Boston Marathon?
1: I've actually only done it one other time. Um, and I was, a, I was more of a middle distance runner in college, and so um, I did run a few marathons in my, I guess it was late 20s, and Boston was one of them. And um, at the time, we lived in Newton, uh, and I got to the top of Heartbreak Hill and my wife was there with the car and so I walked off the course and we got in the car and went and had lunch. I was not <laughs> having a good day and I just, you That's know, awesome. I wasn't in it to get to the finish line. I was in it to run a specific time and so when that wasn't gonna happen I was like, well, live to run another day.
0: Yeah, so what are you uh, looking forward to this year in the marathon, in the Boston Marathon?
1: Um, you know, it'll be interesting because working marathon weekends for our team is right. very stressful and it's you're on your feet all day um, you know now at 10 years I don't have to quite do as much as I did when right but you still <laughs> in those probably first will, nine right? years right? I probably will yeah. I'll be there quite a bit but I I'm hoping that I can you know my feet up a little bit more than I have in the past and you know it's always nice to sleep in your own bed the night before a race and yes um, so um, yeah I'm I'm, my my goal is to run two hours plus my age so um, if I can run 246 I'll be okay that's cool that's awesome I like that approach
0: 246 yeah so how has your training been really different than usual for the marathon like what yeah
1: yeah I mean I've again been sort of the last two years i've been relatively injury free and training for everything from the mile to the marathon so i will get a little bit more specific now in these last nine weeks or so after yeah. after my mile this weekend and so um a few more long runs and just longer uh, intervals which i've kind of you know with young kids in the business you don't have as much time which the right. mile is nice because you can like jog to the track do something hard for 15 right. 20 minutes and jog home and you're done you know and you're not taking three hours on a Sunday. Right. So I'll and have some, i have some like, Yeah, exactly. Get on board. <laughs> I, I get out super early. I'm usually, uh, it's funny, I wake up earlier on, on the weekends rather than sleeping in because I need to get
0: back before everyone's right. awake, so. Um. That's so funny. And so, you know, I always say back to business yeah. that sometimes I feel like building a business is like being at mile 20 yeah. on the marathon. <laughs> and you're like at that place where you've done all the work and you only have like a couple more miles to go but like that was the hardest miles yeah yeah
1: do you feel like that like 10 years Like are you you
0: finished with the marathon at 10 years and it can all still still (laughs) come
1: off the rails you don't you don't know you still have the 6.2 miles left to go yeah no it does feel like that i mean there's there's obviously like a lot of analogies between starting a business from scratch and and running you know it's delayed gratification it's that you have to just consistently do the right things over a long period of time you know there's no quick fix Um, there's good days there's bad days and you know you can't expect every workout to feel great and you can't expect every day or week or quarter in the business to be to be great but if you can be good consistently over a long period of time you can succeed
0: yeah Um, and I just I have to ask because I feel like Tracksmith is like all of the apparel is just so like from the fabric, to the design, to the minimalism, to Mm -hmm. all the thought, like it's such a detailed, it's almost like a high-end fashion brand for running, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, Yep. as somebody who has a fashion background, right, and also I love running. So were you thinking when you started it, like there was just something missing in the marketplace that you needed to create?
1: Definitely, there were were a few things, really I guess there were maybe like three core ones, and to start with yours, one was just aesthetic and style at the time, Um, If you looked at the landscape and especially men's apparel, it was was not pretty. Right, it was like Um, giant
0: t-shirts, sweatpants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Everything, every brand was the same color, using the same fabrics. If you took the logos off, you would have no idea whose product was whose. And so there's just an opportunity from a style perspective to create something that was more distinct, that was more timeless, um, that didn't need to be changed every season. Um, Things that looked like your other clothes that you might be wearing. It was sort of like, why do we have to dress like this to go for a run when the rest of my life I dress like this? And so um, some subtle things that we were able to do there. Um, there and there really
0: wasn't anything for men. No, there yeah. was not.
1: There was not. But yeah, you had Lululemon and Athleta that were driving a bit of resource allocation into women's apparel at the yeah. running brands, but the men's apparel was not getting any right. of the resources. It was still footwear driven, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and then there was also just like a quality um, component to that, um, you know, A lot of people don't understand all of the sort of, you know, raw materials and supply chain and all the things that go into apparel in any any category, let alone running, but there are objectively better fabrics, there are better raw materials that are, they last longer, they perform better, you know, and all of those things. And so, you know, our model was to be a direct brand, we can cut a little bit out because we're not selling to the big box sporting goods or some, you know, other retail partners. We can invest more of that into higher quality raw materials. Um, create a more durable, lasting product. Um, And then there was just a cultural opportunity as well in running where I think the bigger brands, which had all been doing very well and gotten bigger and bigger, they were either putting their resources on athletes who were maybe gonna make it to the Olympics, try to get on the podium, or, sort of a general health and wellness and in the right. middle is like millions and millions and millions of committed runners who still yeah. identify as runners they're trying to get better and faster but they're never going to be an Olympian but they're also not sort of the health okay. and wellness like oh Just, I should go out for yeah. a jog it's like yeah. they're runners they're real runners and, and so, so.
0: You, and Tracksmith provides a ton of support for these yeah. athletes so mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about that program is it a, it's um the, the athletes, ASP, yeah. ASP. Amateur, support. Amateur, support. Amateur, amateur support program
1: yeah amateur yeah, yeah. Support program. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It started in 2020, leading up to the Olympic marathon trials in Atlanta, where we had some employees and friends of the brand, some had qualified, some were chasing the standard. And it was just literally started with the question of, is there anything we can do to better support these athletes on their their journey? And, you know, it sort of snowballed internally into this basic idea for a program. And we put out applications and, you know, we thought, you know, we'd have 30 athletes in the program and it was hundreds of athletes, you know, applied and... It ended up in Atlanta that year. We had, you know, hundred and twenty some athletes um, competing at the at the trials. We had twenty percent of the field um, wearing tracksmith. We then extended the program to track and field and we're back here at the Olympic Marathon Trials again where we also have about twenty percent of the field on Saturday will be wearing tracksmith. So It's amazing. Um, and it's a the, the really the great thing about the program, the thing we all take a lot of pride in is that the athletes all have, the, all have the same response, which is, you know, when you leave college, you lose a little bit of that camaraderie and yes. team atmosphere, and as part of the program, they meet athletes who are also professionals, have jobs, have families, and it feels like a team, and yeah. literally athletes will say, oh, yeah, I, I was running, and I looked over, and I saw the Tracksmith Singlet, and we started chatting, and we ran together for the next six miles. They yeah. didn't know each other prior to it, right? And you know, you hear people on the sidelines; they cheer, "Go Tracksmith!" when they yeah. see these athletes. No, no one else is on the sidelines saying, "Go insert whatever right, brand." Right? right? So, yeah. um, there is something sort of special about that group, and um, and we, we're just honored to be able to support that many yeah. athletes.
0: And you make, and you also private label for teams, which is great. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, we do. so That's like yeah. when you see teams with, you can tell even if it doesn't say Tracksmith; it's yeah. like it's just a look yeah. and a feel. Yeah. So, what what inspired you to launch footwear and when did that actually start versus when it launched?
1: Yeah, I mean literally it started at the like when I started thinking of the idea for Tracksmith. It was not set out to necessarily be an apparel brand. I wanted to be a running brand and be able to service all the wants and needs of a committed runner and footwear obviously is part of that. Um, It just takes more resources, it takes a bit more time, um, but I would say we started in sort of earnest about five years ago Um, And we had some starts and stops along the way. We originally didn't have the full team internally. So we had to outsource some different components in design and development and didn't quite get where we wanted to go. COVID came. That sort of set us back a bit in terms of being able to go to the factories and visit. Um, But then eventually we were able to get a core team internally with tons of experience and um, I was just super excited when that team really got cranking and we started yeah. to see the first prototypes, and, and we knew we were going to be able to produce great shoes.
0: And now you introduced some new colorways that yes. I saw at TRE. Yep. So that's exciting. Yep. You have the original shoe that you created yep. in multiple colorways. Yep. And there's another shoe or other shoes down the road coming.
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean, we have a few different things in development. Um, again, the goal is to be able to service the needs of a runner, and yeah. so, you know, they don't need just an everyday training shoe. They're going to need trail shoes, race day shoes, you know, uh, some lifestyle shoes, right? So I think the the vision for for footwear is obviously much bigger than a single shoe. And so, so
0: for 2024, are these things we might see?
1: Hopefully, yes. Hopefully we will do uh, something new or two in 2024. But awesome. footwear development, you never know. Things can go sideways. Awesome. Well,
0: Matt, this has been so great. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast and um, to be continued.
1: Sounds good. Thank you. Awesome.
0: Thank you. All right. Just dropping in here to give a shout out to our partners at UCAN. Are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? It's time to give UCAN a try. UCAN utilizes steady release carbs instead of sugar, so you don't feel the highs and lows in energy. It's been years since I've been able to use gels until I discovered can Edge Energy Gels. When you're out training and racing for hours day after day, it's nice to have smart fueling options to boost your performance. Plus, they taste great, are the right consistency, and you don't need to chase them with water. My favorite flavor is pineapple. Also, UCAN's award-winning Edge Energy Gels last longer than other gels, less for you to carry. Top U.S. triathletes Olympian Katie Zaferis and Tim O'Donnell, along with marathon runners Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, Kira D'Amato, all rely on UCAN to fuel their training and recovery. Level up your race and training nutrition with UCAN. Go to UCAN.co yukon.co/marnie to redeem your free, exclusive Edge sample pack. All you pay is shipping. And to save 20% off any UCAN products, head over to UCAN.co and use our code Marnie. Now, back to our conversation. Next up, Global Community Director and Olympic Trials Runner, Louis Serafini. Great to meet you, Lou.
2: Great to meet you as well. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah,
0: this is super cool. I'm very excited. So you're running this weekend.
2: Yes, I That's am. That's
0: amazing. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm excited. It's my um, It'll be my third uh, marathon trial, so... I feel like a a veteran now as opposed to a first-timer which is nice so
0: and so like when did you know you wanted to compete to go to the marathon and be in the trials like when did that journey start for you with running Um,
2: I was a distance runner in college so um, you know there were people around me that were competing at trials. so it seemed like maybe it could be something for me someday and then really in like 2014, 2015, when I started training for longer distances, it seemed like it would be possible, and I was out of school, so I needed a goal and something okay. to shoot for, and um, that's when I qualified for my first trials, and I've been a marathoner ever since.
0: And so, what do you love about running?
2: Oh, I think for me, like, you know, working in community, um, I, I don't know, I, I grew up running, and I ran in high school, and I ran in college, and there was always, like, an emphasis on competition and Mm -hmm. times. And when I came out of college, I was so burnt out from that. And I'd really kind of like fell on, fallen out of love with the sport. But now, like getting to work at Tracksmith and being like our head of community, um, I really love like, the fact that running is something that brings people together. Um, and you can just draw joy from like so many different parts of the sport, whether it's your own accomplishments or like the people around you. Like it's all relative. And whether you're competing at like the Olympic trials or you're running your first 5K. Right you can take so much joy out of the sport. So that's what I really love about it, and then sharing that with other people. And what are
0: you looking forward to on Saturday on the course? Like, are there, like, you you obviously have done, like, race recon and all of that. So what are you Mm kind of looking forward to?
2: Um, The nice thing about trials is it's a looped course. Um, So a lot of, like, marathons are point-to-point or, like, a big, giant loop. But the nice thing about this course and the last couple um, that I've done it's you know three eight mile loops, so I'll get to see all my friends and family like four or five times, yeah. and that is very helpful uh, yes, in is. a marathon when you're going through your <laughs> dark moments and your lulls to see you know your, your partner or your parents or whoever it may be cheering for you, and it kind of lifts you up. and um, I think that's going to be my thing that I'm looking forward to the most is just. You know getting out and competing but then also being able to hopefully share some of that experience with uh with my friends and family so, so. what's
0: like what's the strategy for a loop course like do you negative split do you do i don't know yeah what's the strategy
2: yeah no i mean <laughs> that's a good question i think I think the strategy for like how you approach the race doesn't change too much if it's a loop or not a loop it's i think mentally nice where like you can kind of like break the race up a little bit easier where it's like okay like i'm not i'm gonna hold back until that last lap and then really start to push a little bit but i think for me in general on saturday like i live in boston it's cold up there it's obviously gonna be warm so i think i know i'm in really good shape so i'm trying to trust my fitness focus on you know my race plan not anyone else's race plan and just try to run my race and i know if i'm patient and i you know i'm really controlled i'll be able to you know finish strong and have a good second half and that's kind of my strategy for this weekend like
0: what's your time goal
2: uh it's so hard um to put a time goal i my pr is 214 okay i've had a really good training block um i think if like everything was perfect like flat course perfect weather i could run Two ten or two eleven, I think like five minute miles feel very within reach right now um, because of the weather. I try not to put too much of a time goal right. on it because you just you never really you know never how know. it's gonna feel yeah. in the moment. But um, but I think uh, I think somewhere in that like. 212 to 214 range is going to be realistic. If I could come away with a PR and finish, you know, in the top 25, I'd be doing cartwheels. So, that's, that's amazing. kind of Well, we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, mean, I still got to do
2: it. So that so but that's the goal. Do so. you do
0: other like are you do you do b- the Boston Marathon and like other marathons typically yeah. you're training in Yeah,
2: I've done Boston, I've done New York. I'm 32, so I think I'm I'm taking a bit of a step back. Um, you know from racing i used to be someone who liked to race all the time okay it's actually something i've changed in my marathon builds where like i would often race two three four times in the build-up to a marathon but now i like i haven't done any races in the build-up to this i'm really just focused on this one effort and it's for multiple reasons like i'm getting older there's more going on in my life but i I just really want to put the focus and the emphasis on this one really important race. So um, after this, I plan on taking a nice long break and spending time with my fiance and focusing on work. And I'll be around for all the major marathons to cheer on other people. And I think my next big goal probably will be to run Boston, but in 2025. So I'm going to take a nice long break and, you know, get some other things, fulfillment out of life um, and then come back for that one. So. That's
0: amazing. I mean, I think it's such, like, a it's so incredible that you're able to qualify to even compete. And Tracksmith has, I think we maybe mentioned this earlier, um, 20% of, like, athletes are, are Tracksmith yeah. and 50% are women. And, I mean, this is all also part of the program that you spearheaded with mm-hmm. Tracksmith, the amateur support program. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. And, yeah, talk to me a little yeah, bit about
2: that. Yeah, I mean, it's... So I was at Trials in 2016, a total amateur athlete. It was right before I started at Tracksmith, um, and I had no idea like what I was getting into. I was you know, just out of college, and I remember being in L.A., and it was such an overwhelming experience. Yeah. I didn't have any teammates around me. I didn't have any support. I paid my own way. I paid for my hotel. There was less race support at the time from USATF. And uh, I think the only support I got was from a brand that was like basically helping to pay for race entries. It was like a $40 comp. So in in 2019, I was lucky enough to qualify for Atlanta. Um, But independently from that, I just remember kind of like looking at the scope of things in American marathoning and seeing that there, there really isn't a lot of support out there for those like middle tier Athletes Like there's a yeah. lot of support at the top um, if you're like, you know, top 1% professional right. runner. But yeah. um, for people that had like my shared experience where, you know, you're pretty good, you've been, you know, competing at the highest level for a very long time, but you haven't quite reached that pinnacle. Um, So we put out, it was called the OTQ program at the time, and we had a ton of response for it. And it was just, I remember stepping on the line in 2020 versus 2016 was a totally different experience. Like feeling like I had basically teammates around me and and a brand kind of behind me that was supporting What I was doing, it felt like I wasn't in it alone anymore, and that was that was huge. So Nick, who I think you've spoke to already, like Nick has since he joined after Atlanta, has really transformed the what was then the OTQ program into the amateur support program, where we don't only support marathoners, but all athletes in track and field and marathoning. And um, I think it's really wonderful, like what we've been able to do but we always say like with these weekends specifically we have a few community events going on but it's really about the runners like we want to make sure that their experience here is as seamless and like comfortable as we can possibly make it like if we can give them that professional runner level of experience even just for a few days it's going to make them so much more relaxed on race day yeah and so that when if that is their first trials and they're nervous they can look around, see other runners wearing Tracksmith, feel some comfort in that, you know, have a place to go, have a place to talk to people, and um, hopefully go out and run their best, and that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, you have such an amazing setup with the massage tables and sign-making and all of the athlete bags and the merch and everything, so...
2: Yeah, we're getting good at it. It's like... um, It's funny the first time you do it, <laughs> yeah. you have no idea if it's going to be good. You're, you yeah. know, you do your best, uh, but you know we're startup, we're a small brand. You have to figure everything out. And now we've we've done this a few times, and we're getting better at it. And you know, Wellness emotion Motion, who provides the massage and physical therapy, they're with us for everything that we do. So we're starting to develop these connections and relationships and this way of doing things, so that it makes it easier for us, but it yeah. also makes the athlete experience better, which is great. So that's awesome. Yeah.
0: When you started at Tracksmith right after college
2: uh, a couple what of years were you doing ahead. before uh, before so I actually went into PR for a year and a half or so when yeah. I graduated I worked cool. at a really small boutique PR f- firm um, was account coordinator so I did you know write wrote press releases manage social media accounts stuff like that but it was for um, compounding pharmacies so it was like not I wouldn't call Nothing it like, like my passion this. yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool and yeah the- it was it was a good like you know it was the typical like first job out of college you yeah. know And, uh, but I found this kind of goes back to like the, you know, rediscovering the joy of running. I, I was missing running. I wasn't running much at the time. And, um, my roommate and I both decided that we missed it and we wanted to take a job at a local running shop. So we just took a job selling shoes at Heartbreak Hill Running Company, which is a really well known. yeah. Yeah and um, that turned into a manager position for me about three or four months later. So I managed the store on Heartbreak Hill for about three or four years, um, helped build that community up, and then got the opportunity to come work at Tracksmith.
0: That's awesome. Well, this has been super great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks I, for being have, down here. Have fun, and obviously, good luck. But
2: yeah, no, it's all about. I think about it's
0: fun. not about luck; it's about fun now because yeah. you already did the work. Yes, exactly.
2: The hard work's done. This is just about the experience. So you're
0: going to be so fast. Like, you don't? Do you think about nutrition? Like, what do you do? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. A
2: hundred percent. What do you do
0: for nutrition on the race course?
2: Yeah, I mean, I will. I'll scream. As a
0: speed demon.
2: Yep, I'll scream about nutrition to anyone who will listen. I, yeah, talk about it. Um, When I came out of school again, like, I just didn't think I needed to fuel because I never fueled in college, you know? Like, we were running 5Ks and 10Ks. Right. And I pretty much, like, cramped or blew up in every single marathon that I did. Um, And I'm now, like, knock on wood, three for my last three. Um, I take four to five Morton gels, so roughly every 30 minutes or so. Okay. And I alternate with regular and caffeinated. Um, But the... And that was never an issue for me taking gels. But the biggest game changer for me, especially in hot weather races, if you're somebody that cramps mm-hmm. or has muscle tightness and you just can't explain it, is electrolytes. I yes. basically have learned the more electrolytes that I can get into my body over the course of 26 miles, the better. Um, so I take uh, bottles of Scratch, I'll drink Gatorade that's on the course. Um, really whatever I have access to. Do you,
0: you don't run with a handheld water bottle? I
2: don't but I will absolutely we get we're lucky enough to get right, bottles. bottles. I will absolutely grab a bottle and carry it for a mile, maybe even two, yeah. especially when it's gonna be like this. Yeah. Um, so like later in the race, mile 15 <laughs> if like if it's starting to feel hot, I'll grab a bottle and I'll carry it for a mile, two miles, however long I feel like I want to have access to those fluids. Yeah. um, Because it is absolutely imperative to, um, for me personally, with with muscle cramping and making sure. And that's not going to work for everyone, obviously. No, everyone's different. It's so interesting. Like,
0: (laughs) I don't have an... Like, I don't sweat a lot and I also don't have high electrolyte loss. So I can, like, get by. But my sister my who just we did this race together she has super yeah. high electrolyte loss and sweats a lot and she came through the finish line and like passed out like I mm-hmm. had to take her to the medical tent because everyone is so different and it's really like especially as somebody who's you know competing at this level like you have to be so dialed
2: yeah and yeah. it's it's 2024 now like you can like Again, for people that are listening, yeah. like, you can go and get sweat tests really yeah. easily now. Um, totally. Companies will like put a patch on your arm, have you run, and measure like the composition of your sweat and how salty it is, and, and yeah. make recommendations for like how many electrolytes you need to take in during a race. And I am like the least like technical, like sciency person, yeah. but like anytime you're asking your body to go out for. Two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, or more, and you're losing that much. Yeah, like you need, you need to, to know a plan at least. Yeah, yeah that's so.
0: awesome. I think it's great to hear that from someone who's like competing, competing at this level to you know at the Olympic trials to you know just because I, I always ask you know pros also and just everyday athletes yep. like me who I'm hyper dialed because yeah. I have the triathlon background. Yeah. So it's like the first thing you learn when you do a triathlon who's is that? like food. Um, Well, this has been super awesome. Thank you so much, Louis. Thank you. Or do I call you Lou?
2: Um, Friends call me Lou usually, so you can definitely call me Lou. (laughs) This has
0: been great, Lou. I'm (laughs) so so excited to have you on the podcast. All right, last up, Nick Willis, five-time Olympian and Tracksmith Community Manager. We are here at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials in Orlando, and Nick has been down here for at least a week, right, running the training camp that we've all seen on Instagram and social. So. Talk to me about the Tracksmith Amateur Support Team program.
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's a ton of fun. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to run at the highest level of the sport, and a lot of doors were open for me in my career, and I sort of had the red carpet laid out for me. Um, but there's a ton of really, really high-level athletes who graduate from college, and then a professional contract's not available for them, and so they're like trying to navigate this, wild west of, of competing on their own without any sort of sense of being a part of a team or any any sort of support and so at Tracksmith we chose to find a niche within the space of elite athlete support um, and rather than just having a handful of professional athletes we allocated our resources to, pro- to set up a program that acts as a bridge for those athletes that are caught in that sort of like in-between stage right to help them make that next jump um, eventually. Or to support those athletes that are content to be full-time workers, like the majority of our athletes here in the marathon are. Um, They've all got nine to fives, but they still want to compete at a really high level, but still feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Um, And it's empowering that when they're on the start line, that there's other athletes that are wearing the same uniform. Um, Yeah, it's, it's just been a real big privilege and humbling for me being around so many incredible people, first yeah. and foremost. Having the word amateur in the title of the programme I think makes the program self selective in many ways. Okay. There are no egos, no drama queens, no prima donnas. It's right. everyone that is just very grateful for any support they get and so the time that we're able to actually like really lay down the red carpet for them and that's at the Olympic trials and track and marathon. Like so this week we've Put on a camp for heat acclimatization here in Orlando for
0: which is so important because yeah. it, it can be hot. Um, it hasn't been,
3: and it's 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 not going to be too hot in the race, thankfully. But at least they had that option yeah. to prepare their bodies for it. Um, and it's just been really fun, like seeing them enjoy each other's company, yeah. and we get to sort of just come along for the ride for their journey.
0: And Tracksmith is the largest brand that has has the most athletes. I think they have 20% of the 20% field, of the field will 50% be running in
3: our kit this this weekend. So yeah, that's that's a really, um, yeah, we're very humbled and but privileged to to get to be a part of so many athletes' journeys.
0: And as as someone who is like an amateur, you know, everyday runner and athlete, I I know it's so important to to have certain things like getting massages, going to the chiropractor. Um, you know nutrition, hydration, education so talk to me about how you offer this to athletes and what you're doing today Cause we're here at the Grand Bohemian Hotel in Orlando and you have an entire suite for athletes to swing by and yeah so talk to me a little bit about that.
3: Yeah obviously we have hundred and seventy athletes in the program total so we can't um, lay it on thick all the support all year round for that many athletes but at the big moments that's when we can sort of bringing everyone together, pull all of our resources. And um, before the camp even started, we hired um, the services of the Canadian Institute of Sport to provide heat acclimatization um, consulting so they could like help the athletes plan out their strategy yeah. for the, the weeks and months before. And then the camp in Orlando, but now um, on race weekend as well to have, um, have some yeah, trusted hands to provide therapy any aches or niggles or any stiffness um, out of their legs before the race but I think more so it's just the emotional support to know that they're not here in Orlando on their own they've got a a whole team and a whole brand behind them and um, that's something that I definitely felt in my career and so now I get to sort of be on the other side of the equation and it it feels really um, yeah it's a great privilege to be able to do that.
0: That's really nice because I think when you're a professional athlete you have a lot of resources yeah i could get not. two
3: massages every week no yeah, problem i mean
0: it's also but you work really hard to earn your olympic medals and to be a professional athlete at the same time you know people are no as, harder
3: than other no people harder than other
0: people probably just harder than me because i'm got, like the like you know fair weather athlete yeah yeah what, you mentioned heat acclimatization and... Um...
3: Heat acclimatization and heat acclimation are slightly two different things okay. I've learned through this process. Okay. Heat acclimatization is going to an environment to be able to um, prepare your body for it. Okay. Heat acclimation is when you, you simulate that environment... In an environment that doesn't have those conditions.
0: Oh wow! Okay. Um, That's so ideally,
3: we wanted to provide them to come to Orlando rather than having to set up a heat chamber in their garage in the middle right. of New Hampshire or to run in or a sauna. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, I think I should have done that because I just did the half marathon in Miami,
3: and uh, it was. I heard it was really hot down there.
0: I mean, humidity and heat are two different things, and they yeah. really like together are crazy. And I think everybody was worried about the, um, you know, the Olympic trials being super hot. It and could have been.
3: Last week it was hot here. Yeah.
0: So, how can someone apply to get into the Tracksmith Amateur Program?
3: We have a cap of total number of athletes, so we have 150 as our cap normally, um, and we allow the applications to be very democratic. Generally, like, if a brand wants to sponsor an athlete, they go headhunting them and they tap right. them on the shoulder via an agent or a coach or maybe directly to the athlete. So there might be talented athletes out there that just never have the opportunity to like present their case to a brand, right? right. We wanted to flip the approach where anyone is eligible to apply, but we let the quality of the athletes determine where that cutoff point is going to be. We'll take the best 150 athletes. With a few caveats, we want to have a lot of diversity in the range of disciplines that are represented. Right. So in track and field, we want to have shot putters, to distance runners, to long jumpers, to race walkers, everyone in between. Um, and we also want to have a, a cohort of marathon runners as well. And so um, we have, I think I set the cap at 70 athletes or 60 athletes in a marathon. Okay. But we also didn't want to turn down anyone who had qualified for the trials. And so we ended up having, I think, 90 athletes total in the program, 80 80 of which, 82 of which qualified for the trials.
0: That's amazing. Um,
3: And only seven had to pull out through injury. So we have about 75 total.
0: That is incredible. And so is there like a time of year where people can apply or is it every year? How does it work?
3: Uh, January 1st is when we open and we'll take, admit the first wave, maybe 60% of the program will get filled in that first month. Um, February first was the cutoff, so that's today, yeah. where, where, as I'm talking. Um, but I definitely don't want to like fill it up immediately in case there are opportunities of some really talented athletes. Um, but the, that's the process. But the way we found is, as the programs become more known, it, the cutoff is pretty much those who can qualify for the Olympic trials and track or or, okay. um, or the marathon. So it has become very selective in that regard, yes. and so. Um, that's not always easy to have to say no to someone who's a very accomplished runner. Yeah. Um, but I'm letting the athletes choose what the level is by the level of interest in the program.
0: Awesome, that's really cool. So is it, are they in the program for the year or is it ongoing? Like how long are they in the program?
3: The program, so long as they choose, will last for the, the calendar year. Okay. Um, but where we differ and I guess my main selling point to the, the really high level athletes Um, is that they are free to leave anytime they choose. Okay. So if someone makes an Olympic team and they get a door knock from a a big sponsor to come and offer them hundreds of thousands of dollars, they're free to leave. Um, Right. And so this isn't um, a risky decision to join the program. It doesn't limit their opportunities afterwards, and so it's a stepping stone. We want them to be able to graduate afterwards if possible but at the end of the year, even if they were a US champion or not, they need to reapply and go through that process again. So we try and keep it real meritocracy.
0: Awesome. And now as an Olympian, where are you now with your running? Like, are you still running? Like, do you enjoy running? Like now that you're not competing professionally?
3: Yeah, I obviously I ran seriously for a huge portion of my life, like yeah. 25 years, like every, Day was focused towards trying to be the best runner I possibly could be and and that was an awesome experience and pursuit, but I needed a break like once I let go of that feeling where I had like I have to run today and I don't have a choice Now whenever I've gone through that motion like I don't have to run today So if I don't want to I'm not going to yeah, Um, and I allowed that that freedom to be expressed but it got to the point where I would go two weeks or three weeks without running a step and not even realize that that had happened.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And that's I gained
3: and I gained 20, 25 pounds and like, okay, this probably isn't that healthy. Like what <laughs> if it gets to 50 or 100, you know? Right. like, yeah. If that happens in only a space of 12 months, that's probably not good for my health. And I was getting a bit depressed as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I've tried to turn the tables a little bit. And now I'm running probably three or four times a week. And, um, cool. Mostly on a treadmill at nighttime after my kids are asleep. Right. Um,
0: well, how old are your kids? I
3: have three boys. Okay. Well, my wife and I have three boys. Cool. Um, and they're 10, 6, and 1.
0: Okay, wow.
3: So right. um, before running always took priority and they would always support my career, but now it's time for that to be flipped and they're the priority. So I, I squeeze in some exercise when I can.
0: So did you, like when you started running, and this is my last question, but like when you started running, like what got you there like what inspired you to start running
3: yeah i was i guess fortunate that my family was involved in track and field before i was born my dad was the the announcer at all the track meets even the national track meets oh wow Um, okay so my family was very heavily involved in like the organization and participation so my oldest in new zealand in new zealand so my siblings competed for the local track clubs and that sort of thing and i guess that was natural that I was begging to be at a race as soon as I was allowed, so we'd lie about my age. So, so, you're not allowed to compete until you're seven. Okay. So, as a five-year-old, I'd put on a seven-year-old age tag on my shirt and and start running. Um, but most of my peers who started that young, they all quit by the time they got to high school. Right. Um, but I, so I had a little break during the first couple of years of high school, and then I got back into it um, just because I knew it was. Something I could do even though I was little. Yeah. I was a teeny tiny kid in high school and even though I wanted to play team sports, I was just too small for them. So running became the default sport that I could have success at. And then when I hit my growth spurt, I was away, away with the races and for,
0: yeah.
3: um, I'd lost the opportunity to play team sports anyway. But um, that's, I, in my senior year in high school, I improved my mile time from 4.22 to
0: 4.01. Wow. Um,
3: when I hit my growth spurt. And so once that happened, it basically opened the doors to like, this could be something that could get you out of New Zealand to America on a scholarship and to go to school and go to the Olympics and all that sort of stuff. So the path was sort of charted for me from that point on.
0: And what did you love about running? Just like your passion.
3: What I love most about running is getting out into the trails. Um, I hate running on a straight road. I hate being able to see where I'm working towards I like the distraction and the agility of dodging rocks and sticks and okay, cool. tree roots and all that sort of stuff so I do nearly all of my <coughs> running when I'm when I was at my peak 90 miles a week when I was a track racer I would do all my my base training and my mileage on single track trails and that sort of stuff so I don't want to get into trail racing though because it's all like ultra races yeah I want to do like Three miles over trails that sort of thing if that existed, but
0: I could do that maybe like because everybody asks me if I want to If I'm a trail runner and I mean No, that's okay. I mean and mostly it's because I have no human GPS and I don't trust the phone So like. I see I watch okay, so I don't know like I don't really feel like getting lost somewhere like that I don't know and so I think that's the first thing and then I'm also like you know, really flexible. So, like, all I need to do is trip over a rock and it's game over for uh, anything else. But I do... I Yeah, do I've sp-
3: never twisted my ankle because, like...
0: Knock on wood.
3: I've been fortunate yeah. to have really stiff ankles. So.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, like... I think that's amazing, though. Well, this has been super awesome. Yeah, I mean, thanks thank you. For, for hopping on and no, doing this quick chat with me. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at marnieonthemove on the Move for Facebook and Instagram. Head over to our website, marnieonthemove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events.